one of the first few episodes, and I've already got, like, my favorite dude on it. Well, yeah. Definitely two of my favorite dudes right here. I honestly think this is like sending out you up text and two girls showing up at your house. Potentially going to be caught holding the bag. The goal is to win. Power right in the messer. Cornell, ever heard of him? No. No. Overarching strategy. I started out, you always you want to do what you do in a sports franchise and you clear out all the old dead wood. You sell it all for picks and you try and build your roster over a number of years and tear a bunch of ACLs, Achilles. You know, maybe superhuman. Pillsbury Throwboy on their rosters is going to be super happy. You're right, I do love the Rhino. Well, yeah. I do have a need for Sneed still. Smoked by a guy named Stoner. They say flags fly forever. Well, yeah. Welcome back to the Dynasty Wire. This is your host, Iowa. As of this recording, we only have three sleeps until regular season football. DG won't be here today, but I am joined again today by my friend, analyst, writer, Henry St. Clair. Henry, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Glad to see a new face here with us. We'll get to it here shortly, but always nice seeing you. Thank you for gracing us with your presence once again. Also joining us today, what you might find to be a familiar voice, a celebrity to me at the very least, host of Sleeper Wire Show, host of various Sleeper Wire Shorts, host of The Great Debate, the managing editor for Sleeper Wire, writer for Sleeper Wire, amongst other responsibilities, a kind soul, a brilliant mind who shares honest thoughts, the number one Australian fantasy NFL writer, and my number one most favorite voice to hear on a podcast. Welcome to the show, Sheehan Arnott. Well, how's that for an intro? That's uh, that's something else. Thank you very much for those kind words. And I got to say, I mean, the the bar for celebrity is just dropping quicker and quicker. We've already had like the Insta Instagram influencers are celebrities. We've had TikTok stars are celebrities. And if I'm a celebrity, that's just the the ass falling out of the market right there. I don't think I can make a single dollar on Cameo. But after that intro, I'm inspired to uh, to go on there and maybe fleece some poor people if they're hard earned cash. Well, you deserve it. I definitely look up to you. Oh, thank you very much. Yep. Today, we're going to just lightly touch on basically some overall strategies from a couple of the brilliant minds we have here with us, touch over a couple of the news bits, discuss a couple of the last things you might want to know before the season starts from a dynasty perspective. So just right off the bat, Sheehan, I want to open the floor for you to talk a little bit about your thoughts with dynasty. What's your, what kind of a, like a strategy or a mindset do you use when you approach dynasty teams so as i've gotten more into the dynasty space and i should say i started off like most people with redraft very early on i heard about dynasty leagues or as i'd call them dynasty leagues <laughs> uh and i thought that's the one for me i've always been like such enough such a junkie for any sports game with a management mode like just before we were on i was playing mlb the show because it has a good gm i don't even like baseball i barely know the rules but i love the franchise mode so dynasty is obviously perfect for me and when i started out you obviously you want to do what you do in a sports franchise and you clear out all the old deadwood you sell it all for picks and you try and build your roster over a number of years and there's an inherent fun in that when you build a winning championship with your guys but i gotta say you can't draft a championship. So these days, if I'm ever in a startup, I'm trying to win that absolute first one, sell the farm, get a ring on the finger. And then after that, we can try and rebuild. We can have a bit of fun. While guys are reaching on rookies, I'll happily sit back and, and take the, the known players, trade older players in for, for lesser capital. Guy like Ben Roethlisberger this year, he's so cheap, but you know he's going to produce. They say flags fly forever. And that's the way I think people should be approaching Dynasty. Obviously, you've got to have an eye on the future and you want to be looking at making those trades to improve your, your team in years to come. It's hard to predict a player's value. We see things change so quickly. So I would always say if you never overpay for potential, but if you can overpay for production. Gotcha. So as far as your outlook on a year to year basis, you're coming out the gate swinging for year one and then making it work after that. Absolutely. Henry, what's your overarching strategy for Dynasty? So you definitely need players to play this year in a lot of regards, but 
sometimes you need to sell a player one year too early rather than one year too late. We've seen the Patriots do it for many years, building their dynasty in the NFL. They even moved on from Tom Brady potentially one or two years too early. You know, they gave a ring to someone else. Maybe it'll be a dumb move, right? They'll never get that championship back, but they may win five, 10 more in the next 20 years here. In a startup, I like to go after running backs early. I like to get those young running backs. We saw ETN go down to a bad injury. Cam Akers go down to a bad injury. So people say, you should be taking those young wide receivers early, those young quarterbacks early. In a super flex, I could hear an argument for quarterbacks more because they last 15 years potentially. If you draft, you know, Josh Allen or Justin Herbert or Trevor Lawrence, they're going to be around for 15 years and then you can help build out the rest of your roster in years to come. If I do running backs early, like a Clyde Edwards-Alaire or a J.K. Dobbins, who obviously got hurt, you run the risk of them getting hurt because all running backs tend to get hurt from time to time. If you can get that four to five year window of a good running back, fill out those veteran receivers late in drafts, like an A.J. Green for a year and Emmanuel Sanders, those guys that are unwanted in most leagues. T.Y. Hilton before the neck injury. That's kind of my thought process on Dynasty is just figure it out with the young nucleus and hope that they don't fall apart. You said it there too, whether you start off RB heavy, the peak time to have RBs is in the first portion of their career. So, you know, there, there's always the older guys you can get later on, but I know if I want to win now and in the future that I typically want to do it around younger RBs, because if you're targeting the older ones, you're potentially going to be caught holding the bag when Le'Veon Bell falls from a first round pick to a 10th round pick in a matter of a year, right with David Johnson. Targeting young RBs initially as part of the core, especially in super flex building around a QB, like you said, longevity. When I'm splitting hairs and I'm trying to decide between two, I'm typically taking the younger one. On the surface, it looks like, oh, you know, you're not trying to win this year as much. My team isn't over finalized and written in stone at the end of the draft. I trade as much as anyone in any of my leagues. I know I'm going to end up moving pieces, collecting assets. And you know what was really hard to sell in the middle of last year? Julio Jones. I would rather collect the younger, more desirable assets where everyone would be interested in these. These could be trade pieces to anyone rather than collecting older assets where if I'm trying to move off of them, I've got to move them to a win now. Younger assets can be moved to both rebuilds and win now. Definitely trying to control the direction of whether the value of the players on the roster are appreciating or depreciating. Trying to build around a core that is improving over time and not decreasing over time. But at the same time, like Sheehan said, you know, the goal is to win. You know, if you're always trying to win in two years and you never actually win. Yeah, I'm a, a big proponent of building around young wide receivers. And the league I would probably consider to be my league of record, the dynasty league that's been going with most of the same guys for, I think this is our sixth season now. I have David Johnson sitting on my bench that I picked up basically for free last year in a trade. He was the number one pick overall in that league startup. I still have, I term them early on in season one, the four horsemen being Julio Jones, Tyreek Hill, Amari Cooper, and Keenan Allen. And they're basically still my four starting wide receivers now six years into the uh, the competition. I feel like this year is definitely my last hurrah, um, but I've got lucky hitting on running backs as I've gone, like last year with James Robinson. And, you know, immediately you have an RB1 plucked out of nowhere. So I always feel like if you have that core of wide receivers, you can find the running backs. As you talked about, Henry, you've got such a thin window or a small window for running backs. You want to pick those up in your rookie drafts as far as I'm concerned. And certainly when it comes to rookie drafts and, and future picks, I always try to have two in the next draft ahead. So if that means trading one out in the um, in the current year to, to accumulate more, to just keep a, like basically accruing value, accruing mid-round picks, and give yourself more dart throws rather than fewer uh, to, to try and hit on those running backs to, to really bolster your team. Absolutely. Like you just said there, running backs, you know, David Johnson going number one overall. Obviously now he's relegated to a third down back role and probably the worst team in the NFL. Yeah. Not exactly ideal. We see Todd Gurley with the depreciating uh, degenerative knee. See Sony Michelle, similar problems. We did see Juju Smith-Schuster as the presumptive wide receiver one in Dynasty two years ago, and now he's not necessarily, you know, all that. So regardless of position, sometimes anyone can fall off a cliff. RBs tend to get more of that injury label to them because they have those car crash hits, tear a bunch of ACLs, Achilles. Like we say, though, the first contract for running backs 
you can have a guy like ETN get a Liz Frank injury. You can have Akers go down, Dobbins go down, but they still have that value because they're so cheap NFL contract-wise that the team is not going to get rid of them or bring in someone else to replace them. They're going to make it to a second contract. We even saw Marlon Mack, who only had mid-round capital at a FIU for the Colts, get a second contract with the Colts even when they drafted JT. Most running backs make it to two, almost none make it to three. You look at Derrick Henry and Josh Jacobs, and you say, Derrick Henry is going to run for 2,000 yards again. And I'd say for one, maybe two more years, maybe, if you're lucky. And if he gets hurt, his career is probably over. Whereas Josh Jacobs, if he gets hurt, he's going to make it to a second contract. Speaking of Henry, and sorry to uh, to jump in the, with the question here. We, you talked in before about selling a guy a year too early. Is Henry, Henry's obviously his peak value now. Is he almost a buy because he might be past that peak and people are now trying to cash out of him? Somewhat, for sure. We see some people have him super low, lower than guys that are 26, like Kamara, Cook, you know, Zeke is still that age. Whereas Henry had a slower start to his career because DeMarco Murray was there in Tennessee. So he's had a big workload these last two seasons, but before that, not a whole lot. So he may still have more tread on the tire than some people want to give him credit for. They see that 28 years of age, six foot three, 250, they say he's going to fall off at some point. And some people may be willing to sell him super cheap. You basically have to be like a superhero like Adrian Peterson to prolong your career. That's why people are starting to get nervous at that 27. And often the ones that prolong their career a little bit past that are ones that are members of the passing game because that's how they maintain their relevancy. Well, that's not exactly Henry's forte. And while he you know, may be superhuman, there's definitely uh, two sides of the coin there. Either you're all the way out or you're not too worried about the age and you're in. So would vary by the party you're negotiating with exactly where they might value Henry. I'm not sure we're going to see like a, a Frank Gore tale to his career, but I could definitely see him finishing off like a um, LeGarrette Blunt and becoming a like a situational short yardage guy because he's, he's not going to get any smaller and he certainly has tread on the tires, but he's not taking those hits. He's running over guys. So I think he's going to appeal to coaches. He might not be that workhorse guy in two years time, but I think there still might be some seasons where he has fantasy value. We saw LeGarrette Blunt, uh, what, four years ago now, have 18 touchdowns and basically nothing in the passing game and, and be a useful asset, particularly in standard leagues, not that anyone plays in those anymore. Yeah, you said it earlier. You try to rebuild through the draft. You move your older assets. The New England Patriots tried to rebuild through the draft this year, coming away with an RB you love in the Rhino, which I love that <laughs> nickname. I'm just going to keep using it and pretend like you weren't the first one to come up with it. Mac Daddy Jones, the argument against maybe some wide receivers might be Harry, who's currently on the IR. The rest of the wide receivers, a bunch of people getting paid a bunch of money, but not exactly any big names, but a couple big name tight ends. I know, Sheehan, that you are a huge Pats fan. I'm curious to just like, just run me through the positions there. What you think of the Patriots' recent moves and the players' values in Dynasty? We'll start with uh, with the Mac Daddy, shall we? I'm super excited to see Mac Jones as the team's quarterback. I was a big fan of Cam Newton pre-COVID last year. I thought he looked exciting. Um, I loved the energy he brought to the team. I love watching him play. And as the season wore on, he just looked a, a shadow of his former self. And I don't know if that's team start to cotton on to what he was doing but I couldn't cop another season of like screen passes on second and 10 and then bad sacks on third and 12 he looked unsure of himself and if there's a man who is not wanting for confidence in this world is Cam Newton so many times last year he didn't look, he looked like he felt like he should be throwing he didn't want to run. He looked nervous. He didn't look like he could trust the shoulder. And it was going to be a, a long year, I think, with Cam. And, you know, I'm excited to see to see Mac Jones. He's a um, he's obviously a role model for the pasty, chubbier men out there. You know, it's been a while since we've had is it Jar Jared Lorenzen, the Pil Pillsbury throw boy. <laughs> no, I'm excited. I think this team around him probably suits him a lot better than the um, players Cam had to work with last year. I mean, he had Demir Bird as his number one receiver almost for most of the season. I think his absolute ceiling, if everything breaks his way, is going to be like a Matt Ryan. The Patriots are never going to be an air it out team. They don't play in a dome. 
So maybe you're looking at more like a, a Kirk Cousins or something like that, or, or even a Baker Mayfield, you know, good quarterback. You're happy to have them under center. They're above that Dalton line as far as I'm concerned, but probably not a name you want to be looking at as a QB1 for fantasy. He'll probably, depending on the, the weapons around him, have QB1 seasons. We saw what he could do with that star-studded Bama team last year. So that ceiling is um, is among some of the league's most reliable passes, but I mean, he's, he's not going to move the needle as far as, you know, the Trey Lancers, the Justin Fields, the Trevor Lawrence guys can get it done with their arm and with their legs. Moving on to the running backs, obviously this is just, in fact, I think it's probably less of a shit show than it has been in previous years. It looks like people have more defined roles. Damian Harris is likely to be the, certainly the first two down sort of guy. I think you can probably pencil him for a fairly reliable workload. That Patriots offensive line is always a strength, so you know they're going to block well for him. And he looked better than Justin Jacobs in college. He looked better than Sony Michelle last year. In saying that, I thought Michelle looked good when he came back, but it's going to be Harris. I think we'll see him catch a few more passes this year. So anyone who stashed him, held him on their rosters is going to be super happy. You're right. I do love the Rhino. Uh, I wish the nickname would catch on more. I tweeted it to him and didn't get anything. I was really hoping that he might embrace it. He might change his handle to like Rhino One or something <laughs> like that. I'm super excited about Ramondre Stevenson. I thought there was some interesting talk around him coming into draft season. I remember Matt Waldman talking about his micro movements. And in my Cam Newton reaction article, I likened it to a suit of medieval armor. So if you look at medieval armor, it's designed to deflect direct hits from a sword or from a mace or something like that rather than take clean hits that are, are going to damage you. Stevenson's a bit like that. He doesn't do anything. He's not going to teleport from one side of the field to the other like a Saquon Barkley, but he's very good making himself hard to tackle. I think he reminds me a lot more of Lev Bell than the, the lazy comparison early on was LeGarrette Blunt. People looked at his sides and thought, this is, this is the next thumper. He's got a lot more wiggle to him than Blunt. He's not going to be running guys over, but he is a difficult man to tackle. If he has a defined role, uh, like we talked about with potentially future Derek Henry, like if we can guarantee that it's going to be Stevenson in the red zone, obviously that's bad news for Harris. I think it's probably bad news for Stevenson as well, because although the Patriots are going to be running the, the ball a lot in that part of the world, I don't know if you want to be relying on a rookie goal line running back each week. So ideally, he won't have that sort of workload. What is underrated about him is probably the best pass blocking back in the draft. The Patriots are obviously have him out there on third down. I think we saw him catch some passes in the preseason. Uh, he's got nice soft hands, so maybe he becomes a bit more of a three down back in years to come. James White is still there. This will be his last season in New England, as far as I'm concerned. Absolute warrior. His work in Super Bowl 51 is just exceptional. And there's every chance he's going to lead the team in targets this year. He could well be a PPR monster uh, off the top of my head. I think his highest season targets is about 85 or 86. Not sure he's going to get that high, but I could definitely see him catching 50 to 60 balls, get him involved in the running game a bit. You know he's going to break off some big plays and, and score. So certainly late in PPR drafts, he's a guy to target. And then JJ Taylor. I think he made the roster because I think Baltimore would have snapped him up if he wasn't on that 53-man roster. He's about five foot five and 120 pounds ringing wet. Uh, but I think he's the heir apparent to James White as far as I'm concerned. I also think that's part of the reason why they went with Stevenson because knowing that White's going to move on. But We'll see Taylor in the punt return game, the kick return game. He'll get some scripted plays. He'll get screen passes. He's a bit of a, a spark plug, I guess you call, but I don't think there's any definitive predictable fantasy value there. Uh, but if you want a point of difference in a DFS lineup or something like that, I think you could do worse than JJ Taylor and with any last minute best ball drafts as well. I'm sure he'll have a week where he blows up for like five for 77 and two or something like that. And nobody will see it coming. Everyone will rush to the waivers and waste their fab on him. Before I launch into wide receivers and tight ends, does anyone want to jump in with anything about uh, any of those guys? I am curious whether you would put Mac Jones above Wilson now that he's the starter to start week one, if you were doing your rookie draft today. I would take Zach Wilson because he's got that rushing upside and you know the Jets are going to be playing. The Patriots are going to be playing from behind as well. The Jets, I think, are going to be playing from behind a bit more. They're not going to be able to run the ball. I know people are high on Michael Carter. I know Ty Johnson is a bit of a sleeper. I know Tevin Coleman's there. I'd be remiss and rude to my boy Nada if I didn't mention the LaMichael P. Ryan. <laughs> That's not striking fear into the hearts of defensive coordinators, particularly uh, the, up there in New England. So I would take Wilson just because he's got less of a cast around him. I think we'll see him similar to what Danny Dimes has had to do for New York. But I'm hoping that 
Is it Mark Lafleur? Is smarter than whoever's or well, Jason Garrett and the other offensive minds there at the Giants, and maybe start to use Wilson on those design runs as well. I know Henry's a massive fan of Wilson because he traded uh, him from me for Carson Wentz in a dynasty startup move that I was okay with at the time, but I think he got me at a good time. So. <laughs> So I'm a big Carson Wentz believer, but Zach Wilson was a guy, you know, I watched his junior year and I was like, this guy might lose his job and he got hurt and he had the shoulder problem, came back. I was like, is this a, an enigma, a mirage? Am I witnessing the right thing? This guy looks like a legit Heisman contender. This guy reworked all his mechanics. I don't know if it was, you know, the reworking of the shoulder that made him work on his base, his footwork more and use less of an independent contractor when throwing. And like you said, he is underrated mobile. The Jets said, you know, he ran a 4.54 at their test center for a 40-yard dash. And that's not something that people are going to expect from the BYU quarterback, right? Kind of has this label of, oh, he's, you know, Latter-day Saints, he's Mormon, he's this white statue quarterback. No, he's underrated mobile like Rodgers. We see Mike LaFleur there as the offensive coordinator, brother of Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. We saw the Green Bay Jets joint practices. He really could be the Rodgers for the younger LaFleur brother. That LaFleur brother is already being groomed for a head coaching job. Robert Sala said multiple times he expects to lose him in two to three years. He's like, you know, I'm happy to have him for as long as I can get him. (laughs) But he is brilliant. He's like, this guy, this young kid is going to be a great offensive mind, hopefully. So like you said, Wilson, potentially. The Rhino, to your point, being the best pass blocker I saw his junior season in Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts. I remember I was watching Jalen Hurts, and I was like, why is he going in the second round? I would watch dropbacks from Shotgun, because Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, it's all under Shotgun. And they would have this big six foot, 235, 240-pound running back back there, and he would chip block. He would, he would get out in space. He'd have the lateral quickness, the awareness to pick guys up from the A gap, the B gap around the edge. I mean, he was a big reason that Jalen Hurts was in the Heisman talk ever. And I think Jalen Hurts owes him a lot of money for helping his draft stock like you said (laughs) but yeah going on to wide receivers here yeah so obviously the uh there's plenty of new faces in town there jacoby myers returns i think he's now a third year he had his second proper season last year he still catches the ball like a quarterback and gunner olszewski still catches the ball like a cornerback and they're still on the the roster there and then we've got aguilar and bourne so these are not the gorilla grip tight-handed receivers i like to see i'm uh when i'm scouting tape looking at hand position looking at hand technique is super important because you can obviously coach it up but you want to see a guy reach up for the ball you want to see soft hands you want to see late hands you want to see explosive hands and jacoby myers so often is like a i would call him a crocodile catcher he's got the top and the bottom going on he doesn't quite have the right angles he's not a natural pass catcher That being said, he's going to see a lot of targets this year, and he still hasn't had a receiving touchdown in the NFL, but he's thrown two. And we will see him throw a couple of touchdowns this year, no doubt. And that's always exciting. That's a nice bonus. I think if if he had 80 catches, 700 to 800 yards and five touchdowns, I would be very pleased with that as a wide, as an NFL wide receiver one. And I think that's an interesting floor in PPR leagues as well. Aguilera will play that deep role that Demir Bird did last year, basically stretching the field. Uh, We've seen him a little bit in the slot. I thought he played his best football in the slot, but then the Raiders used him outside last year to great effect. So uh, he certainly fills that role better than Myers, who's a bit slow. Kendrick Bourne and Olszewski, who are mostly slot guys. So I really think it is going to be Aguilar stretching the field. Mac Jones has a nice deep ball, but, you know, it's a it's a lottery as to, uh, the, again, shout out to my man Nat of the baby drop and Nelson Aguilar is uh, going to catch it. <laughs> uh, Kendrick Bourne, again, nice replacement for Julian Edelman. Myers is definitely going to camp in the slot, or as far as I'm concerned, is going to camp in the slot as a, a big slot receiver. Uh, so they're really missing an outside guy. Uh, Bourne will get his targets, but I'm not that interested. I am interested in Nikhil Harry coming back. Apparently had a really good camp. I have been concerned for a long time about his ability to separate, as I think a lot of people are. And now I think that draft that had uh, Hakeem Butler, had Nikhil Harry, had JJ Artega-Whiteside in it, that's caused a lot of scouts to reconsider how they look at these contested guys 
and say, okay, it's one thing to be winning contested catches, but why are they contested? And we saw that this year with guys like Seth Williams, who might come up later out of Auburn, who ostensibly excellent uh, producer in college, couldn't separate, played the game with the cornerback in his back pocket. And sure, he won, you know, he was turning 50-50 balls into 80-20 balls. But you got to get open at the NFL level. If you can't get open against college cornerbacks, you're going to struggle at the NFL level. I think we have seen some nice playmaking ability from Harry, particularly with his ball in hands. He scored an excellent touchdown against the Chiefs. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but wasn't called by the referee. Absolute bullshit call, but an <laughs> amazing athletic play by Harry on, I think it was a screen pass under uh, a slant underneath. So that's exciting. Hopefully he can come back. I have no interest in Gunnar Olszewski. Yes, he was the all-pro punt returner last year, but I have no interest in him as a player. I have no interest in him as a fantasy player. And, I mean, you've got to have a white slot guy on the Patriots, but hey, that's not the one. Now, we look at the the other pass catches. Belichick dipped into the wallet and paid up for both Hunter Henry and Jono Smith. I honestly think this is like sending out you up text and two girls showing up at your house. Never actually happened to me, I should say, <laughs> but I feel like it's uh, offering contracts to both, not expecting both to sign, and then all of a sudden you have these two assets and go, all right, well, the uh, the Boston TE party 2.0 is, uh, is back. So Jono Smith is probably a better blocker. As far as I'm concerned, I think a lot of people have him pegged as the playmaker and Hunter Henry is the inline guy. Smith actually blocked a lot more last year. That might have been a function of having Anthony the Ferk Ferkser on the team, who is one of the worst blockers as a tight end, but I'm a big fan of, and Henry probably needing to be that receiver for Justin Herbert more than well, given the, the other receivers around him. As far as I'm concerned, Smith is still the better blocker. I think we'll see him moved all over the field. We'll see him in the backfield. We'll see him in the slot. They're going to get the ball to him on screens. And I think Henry is basically going to operate down the seam. Now, Henry's had issues with his shoulder. I think Jono Smith has had continuing issues with his ankles. So early on, we'll probably see, we probably won't see both of them. We'll see Devin Asiasi out there, who I quite like. There's rightful comparisons on the field, at least to Aaron Hernandez and hopefully not off the field. <laughs> uh, so I'm still a big Asiasi guy. I think we are going to see a lot of two tight end sets. In terms of actually owning both these players, I would be okay in having both on my roster and starting one of them if the other one is out. You don't want to be doing that redraft on a shallow bench, but in Dynasty Leagues, if you are, as we are in, in Dynasty Wire here, I would absolutely try and have both on my team. I'd have no qualms if I had both on my team. And in fact, if I had one, I might even try to trade for the other just to see to play almost that matchup. On the flip side, you're basically ending up with this Belichick attempt to be as canny and cagey as he can be week on week. And maybe there'll be weeks where Dalton Keene is the tight end they throw to, or Matt Lacoste, or they split out Isaiah Wynn. And, you know, thanks, Bill. Happy with both of them. I think Smith is obviously the, the more aggressive, more interesting player. Are they both going to be there in two years' time? I couldn't say to be sure. As we've said, flags fly forever. So this year, if you can get both, get both. I'm not sure. I would want to be drafting both in redraft. Yeah, you uh, pointed out some points on the group of wide receivers, the lack of something that just you know, wows your socks off, leads me to think that maybe there can be two relevant tight ends there. When they signed Janu, the best take that I saw was that, you know, they got an elite playmaker on a tight end pay scale. Even though, yes, he's a tight end and Hunter Henry is a tight end, they got two people who were great weapons and Janu as a discount in their eyes compared to how good he might actually be for them. I have Harry lingering on the ends of a bunch of rosters now uh, sliding down into an IR slot, at least for the time being. I like the potential of Aguilar becoming something. I like it a lot better with Mac Jones rather than Cam. Um, I know the UDFA Myers is a is a favorite of a lot of people and Bourne is the ugly dragon of the three, but I'm all for either or both of the tight ends there. How are you looking at it, Henry? I think you hit it right on the head that they signed two of these guys. So they plan on using both of them. They didn't sign one as the insurance to the other. They're going to be on the field together quite a bit. And I think Jonu Smith, they do have Jacob Johnson, I believe, at fullback. Jonu every year seems to get two or three rushing touchdowns. I wouldn't be surprised to see him used. The Patriots love pre-snap 
movement. They love motioning a guy out of the backfield into, you know, a receiver role. We see with James White with Brady over the years. Wouldn't be surprised to see Jonu line up at fullback and then motion out in line as another tight end or even as a wide receiver. And just he's got the speed. He is insane speed for 6'3", 250 or whatever he is. Like you said, he's a willing blocker. He lays people out. Belichick was quoted so many times when playing the Titans, he would just wax poetically nonstop about Jonu Smith. He's like, that guy looks different than every other player on the field. That guy is built unbelievably well. Uh, the loss of Cam Newton, which many dubbed the best goal line running back in the NFL, wouldn't be surprised to see Jonu Smith get some of those goal line vulture carries. Uh, thorn in the side of Damian Harris. As far as having them in Dynasty, it'd be fearsome for me to have both. You just... I'm the type of guy where maybe it's unlucky, maybe it's me having a bad outlook on it, but I'd play the wrong one every week. One of them would put 15 points up and he'd be on my bench, and the other guy would put up two in my lineup. So not quite sure what I would do. Yeah, you just hope for one to be out. That's it. I didn't realize as well, Brandon Bolden is still there, and he <laughs> will have a game where he takes the snaps or he runs. I was so hoping we'd get rid of him. In fact, I said to one of my mates, I was watching the last preseason game with, I'm so glad we don't have to watch that dickhead Brandon Bolden again, and what do you know, he's that 53-man <laughs> roster. And another interesting name, who is technically a, a running back uh, slash quarterback, Malcolm Perry is on the uh, 53-man roster at the moment. I think that's probably just because they claimed him. But when the Patriots only have four active wide receivers, uh, I think it's we might see some interesting plays out of Perry. Maybe we'll see. I had dreams of Cam Newton lining up as a running back mm -hmm. with Mac Jones under center. Maybe we will see Myers, Mac Jones, and Malcolm Perry all in the same <laughs> backfield for the, uh, the triple quarterback or quadruple quarterback option. There you go. The super wishbone. Wasn't he the Navy quarterback at one point? Malcolm Perry came out like a seventh round pick by the Dolphins. He was interesting. Yeah. He had quarterback eligibility. He did have quarterback eligibility. Of course he's uh, of course he's a Navy guy. That's why Belichick signed him up. <laughs> yep. So since the last cast, last cast was, you know, we had the big cut day and then the sign day afterwards. There's been a few moves that have gone down since then that are worth noting. We'll kind of hand in hand talk about that there's, you know, a couple guys to hold, a couple guys to sell, a couple guys to buy right here before we get to the season, which is kicking off here in the very near future. Next here, Wayne Gallman. I like Quadriolison as a sneaky guy behind a 29-year-old RB who's propped up from the Panthers last year, played himself right into a contract. I thought, you know, maybe he could be a sleeper. Well, he's cut. They signed Wayne Gallman. What do you think, Sheehan? Mike Davis should be very worried about this. I am not concerned about this at all because I'm burying my head in the sand. <laughs> They clearly signed Gorman because they're happy with they're happier with him than Ollison. You're right, I liked Ollison as well. But I didn't think he or even Caleb Huntley, Hawkins when he was there, or who's the other uh, oh Cordarrel Patterson. <laughs> None of them were really threats to Mike Davis. Wayne Gorman can can play in this league. The value of Mike Davis was he was going to be a three down guy with basically guys who might spell him behind him. Gorman, if he is the hot hand, I could see Arthur Smith riding him. We saw what Smith could do with the play action game in Tennessee. It's probably not going to be as effective when the defense doesn't have to sell out to stop a bulldozer running at them and instead can sort of focus on Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. Uh, but we're still going to see a lot of play action. It, it's an effective strategy, even with the best defensive coordinators supposedly in the world trying to stop it. So Gorman's interesting. If he's on your waiver wire, you might as well pick him up. I'm not expecting it'll be one of these things, a bit like you said with uh, Harrison Stevenson. I'm sure there'll be weeks where you start the wrong guy, uh, but it could be more of a, a best ball, more of a DFS guy rather than um, than expecting him to start every week. But if there was an injury, I think Gorman's a, a pretty decent cover. And he can play all three downs as well. Are you picking up Henry? I loved Gallman coming out of Clemson like four years ago. He was, you know, ETN before ETN. Obviously not quite that highly touted, but he was a mid-round pick. Last year with the Giants, he averaged four and a half a carry behind whatever they have of an offensive line, if you want to call it that, and had six rushing touchdowns. He looked good. I mean, he outplayed Devonta Freeman, who they brought in to, you know, help after that Barkley injury. It was interesting seeing them get rid of Olison for him. It says more about Olison than it does for Gallman for me. There was no reason not to keep both of them if you wanted to. Uh, I do have Cordero Patterson in a couple leagues where I get special teams return bonuses, so I'm just hoping to catch 
lightning in a bottle. Like we were talking about with Oshevsky, where no real interest in any normal format, but if you get one of those weird formats where you get punt return yards and weird big play bonuses, he's a guy to keep an eye out for. Gets all the position eligibilities you could ask for. In Chicago, he said, Coach, you need a tight end? I'll go play it. Uh, he was a former first-round pick by the Vikings forever ago and has proven just to be a really good gadget guy. He's a good NFL player, but he's not a star receiver and definitely not a star running back. Yep, you said it there, you know, while Javian Hawkins was on there, Titans picked him up and then subsequently cut him as well. Darrington Evans is currently hurt. A popular ad right now is Makai Sargent. Do you have any kind of a take on Makai Sargent, or is this something that's just kind of irrelevant? But it looked great at Iowa, right? <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> He's a smaller guy, though. It's like watching Derrick Henry stand next to Deion Lewis when he was in the Titans. You know, it's seven, <laughs> seven inches in height and probably 50 pounds. Sargent's a thicker guy than Deion Lewis is, but he flashed in preseason. He was one of those guys that every time they get the ball, they seem to be making a play. I mean, there's a reason he made the roster over JV and Hawkins and Darrington Evans, former third round pick at Appalachian State. Currently banged up, like you said. Could see Makai Sargent be a cuff on one of the best running teams in football. I think this is a what's that old adage about Peyton Manning when they asked his offensive coordinator why don't they don't let the backup take snaps? We don't practice fucked. If Henry goes down, they're fucked. Like if Henry goes down, give me AJ Brown, give me Julio Jones, give me Ryan Tannehill. Assuming that we're gonna see the backup step in and have the same sort of workload, I think is fool's gold. I think he's free in a lot of leagues, so pick him up one hundred percent. You can put him on your taxi squad. He's not costing you a spot on the roster. Ahead of him is Kari Blassing game and uh, Jeremy McNichols, who has the Rona at the moment. So it's not like it's a he's not beating out Barry Sanders to get uh, snaps here. So. I think, you know, have a have a look at him, as you say. If You'll obviously have hot takes about him, given he's, uh, he's one of your Hawkeyes. I am not that excited. I mean, like, he, he looked like a, a reliable guy. He was getting snaps here with Goodson, who is, you know, a highly touted player returning for the Big Ten as far as uh, at the running back position for Iowa. I don't see any kind of tantalizing upside. It would purely have to be based off of opportunity as far as Makai Sargent for me personally. He's just uh, one of the people who have benefited by others being cut around him or being hurt. Someone I wanted to bring up specifically who has, I think, maybe even benefited from being cut and then signed is Hollister. We talked about him a, a while back, and I said, you know, the only fancy Hollister is the clothing name brand. <laughs> but uh, the Jags picked him up, so he's uh, he's better than Tebow, at least, right? Well, yeah. He's actually a tight end, <laughs> and he made the roster, so he's got uh, he's got those two up on Tebow. I, I'm a big fan of Hollister. I thought he had interesting value on the Bills this year. I thought the Bills were gonna, either going to add Ertz, and then when they didn't, I thought, well, Hollister's interesting. He could easily outplay Dawson Knox, as far as I'm concerned. I thought he did well on the Seahawks, and he's very interesting in Jacksonville. I didn't really have a tight end. I think the stats bear it out to not quite be true, but certainly the adage is that rookie rookie quarterbacks like relying on their tight end, and Hollister's an, an excellent athlete at that position. Yep, another tight end dart throw. Do you have a take for Hollister, Henry? I think Luke Farrell was a fifth-round pick this year at Ohio State, has that Urban Meyer connection in some regard there. It's one of those things with a trips wide receiver team where you have three wide receivers of relevance. You have Chark, Marvin Jones, and LaVisca Chenault. You see it with the Panthers. They have DJ Moore, was Curtis Samuel, now Terrace Marshall, and Robbie Anderson. The tight end just doesn't seem to be relevant. Like in Pittsburgh with Deontay, Juju, and Claypool. You get Ebron, you get Dan Arnold, Ian Thomas last year. The Jags with Tyler Eifert last year. Those guys tend to just fall by the wayside in those offense where they're running trips, they're running bunch, they're running all sorts of you know 31 personnel out there, and it just doesn't seem to work out. So yeah, with Hollister gone, Fort Knox is safe. I think they um, the Jags paid up insofar as you can pay up for a, a blocking tight end for Chris Manhurts. <laughs> Clearly, like he's one of the better blockers going around at the position. So that was their priority over someone who could play the game vertically as you say Henry like they're a three wide team I'm sure uh Hollister is going to be some value in the red zone but you know they want someone who's going to keep their Rolls Royce from getting damaged rather than someone who's going to make a play certainly they have enough offensive line issues to where they could use an extra blocker in a lot of situations so someone else who got cut was Kiki Kuti 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 however you say it 
He went to uh, he went to the Colts. He's on their practice squad at the moment. As I tweeted the other day, I find that very interesting. I think the Colts' pass catchers are fairly anemic in what should be a pretty good offense. I could easily see him getting snaps with uh, with Ty Hilton out. The Colts still very randomly love uh, Zach Pascal, and they keep throwing him the ball. But to be fair, he keeps producing. Uh, Pittman, I know, is popular in dynasty circles. Paris Campbell. In fact, there's a guy you could probably go out and buy for like a third or fourth round pick at the moment. And that's a nice dart throw to have on your roster. And if it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. Kiki Kute, if he's on your waivers, sign me up. I've got him in a few dynasty leagues and why not him? Yep, understandably. Uh, another guy who got cut, Tyron Johnson. And the Jags used, uh, if I understand correctly, used their their waiver claim to take him. And this was after cutting Colin Johnson and Camp and Dorsett and Farrow Cooper. So they'd like cleaned out the back end of the wide receiver room and then picked him up. You think he could be uh, somebody sneaky out there? He's a field stretcher. That's what he was for the time, or the Chargers rather last year. And that's what he'll be for the Jags at best. He's a depth field stretcher. He's going to take that Philip Dorsett role. I think as far as the Kuti thing went, I know Sheehan turned me on to a guy, Mike Strachan, who's there in Indianapolis. He could get some opportunity. We see Wentz loved those big targets. When he had success, it was Zach Ertz. It was Alshon Jeffrey, those 6'5", big body targets. Wentz is a big guy himself that liked to play basketball up there, play above the rim, over-the-top delivery, over-the-top catches. I think Strachan could be a guy on taxi squads, but played at Charleston, was it? Not a big yeah, college. Yeah, Charleston, he was D2. Yeah, played D2 football, wound up going to the draft there. They got Kylan Granson out of SMU, and both have been impressing them in camp. I think those guys can pick up the slack for T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, Mike Strawn was an interesting guy because he played D2 football because he wanted to run track as well because he was trying to uh, qualify for the Tokyo Olympics which, if we all remember correctly, didn't happen, and then they did. So he was an 800-meter runner uh, qualifying for, I think it was Bermuda or the Bahamas. Uh, but his father was actually a, a college-wide receiver. He's good mates with Michael Irvin. So there is a bit of a pedigree there. He's had some some decent coaching. He needs to get better, but like you can't teach speed. You can't teach size. The guy's six foot five, And if you like Jacob Harris from the Rams, missed out on him, you could do worse than Mike Strawn. Yep, big and fast. Once it gets down to the, the nitty-gritty... He's someone I've taken a shot on here and there. A lot of people were taking a shot on Cornell Powell in rookie drafts, and Powell right in the misser. Don't get to see him on the, at least the active roster. Did they bring him back? Yeah. They did indeed bring him back to the practice squad. So Cornell ever heard of him? <laughs> I think I made that joke every single time his name came up. He was a guy I kind of liked as a, a late-round pick. The Chiefs are clearly still looking for someone to play out there. They signed Darice Fountain, who was on the Colts for a couple of years. Last I saw him, he was at the East-West Shrine Bowl a couple of seasons ago. So they're clearly looking for someone. And that was the same sort of theory I had with Kiki Kute. Why not Cornell Powell? Uh, he's obviously got a longer road back, but I kind of liked him. I think he showed a bit. And, you know, the Chiefs are an offense you want parts of, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, with Powell not exactly hitting, or at least immediately here, and John Brown cut, that was the first thing in my mind that that would be a sweet landing spot for the smoke. <laughs> As Henry brought up, he got smoked by a guy named Stoner on his own team, and then <laughs> Stoner got cut right afterwards too. Good news for, I think, the remainder of the Raiders passing game. I'm curious to see where John Brown ends up. No, he'll go somewhere. I think he's looking for the right team. He seems like a nice fit for the Chargers. They just got rid of Tyron Johnson. They need someone out there for that field, stretcher role, and again, John Brown. I think he still has a bit to offer at this level. There was some weird stat where he like led the league in whatever it was that he did. I think it was average depth of target, dot, where John Brown was up near the top of the league. Like you said, he's a one-trick pony, but if you get a quarterback that can fit that trick, you get Josh Allen with that strong arm, Justin Herbert's built that same archetype. He can throw the ball country mile right over that hill over there, so <laughs> might be able to get it to him. Maybe back to the Cardinals. A lot of people thought John Brown was going to be even playable all the way down to redraft this year. With him cut there, that kind of cleans it up a little bit. Are you excited about any of the other pass catchers for him? At the Raiders? Yeah. Uh, Henry Ruggs. Yeah. I am a big fan of Henry Ruggs, particularly because the Raiders are going to misuse him as their uh, nine route guy and deep post guy. 
uh, which was what Aguilar was. It's what they thought John Brown was going to be. So I feel like Henry Ruggs is better than both of those players. I think Aguilar had 800 yards and eight touchdowns last year. I think I could see Ruggs doing that. He's going to get the targets if he's got better hands than Aguilar. And let's face it, anyone with two of them probably has. He's as good a chance. I actually think he's more of an Odell Beckham type where he is damaging down the field. You can use him on... Uh, slants you can get the ball in his hands and let him make the play Uh, but he seemed to be caught on these weird medium sort of or middle depth routes uh, that didn't really suit him but you'd think that Derek Carr being the Mr. Checkdown that he is would benefit from having a playmaker up close but was he Waller's the the main guy there but give me give me Henry Ruggs late in drafts and also Dynasty I think he's a he's a nice discounted buy Henry Ruggs Henry Sinclair what you think I like Ruggs. He's got huge hands. I remember that was his big thing coming out of the draft. He had like 98th percentile hands. It was like the highest hand measurement they'd seen in a long time. Not that that's everything, but maybe it helps him catch the balls more. Uh, we do see Hunter Renfro there at LSU about three years ago. He's a guy that they seem to just like out of the slot. Not that they use a ton of slot plays, but got Brian Edwards there. He's a big body, kind of that Des Bryant physical type. A lot of guys like him. I do have the need for Sneed still. <laughs> he was interesting in New Orleans early in his career. Then he went to Baltimore, and that's just where receivers go to die with Lamar Jackson. And Willie Sneed even talked about it. He said, I love Lamar. He's an unbelievable NFL player, MVP of our league. But, man, it was impossible to look good with Lamar throwing me the football. So if Sneed has anything left, he'll be happy to be out of Baltimore. Did beat out Dylan Stoner and John Brown for a roster spot. It was a guy that they prioritized getting in free agency and still there. I think uh, I heard Greg Rosenthal say that Brown got the most guaranteed money of any player who got cut. Mm, interesting. $3.4 million or something like that. That's nice work. You don't have to do anything and walk away three mil. Did ask for his release as well. I think that he was just must have been buried on that depth chart and he said, please release me. I think if a team signs him, then they pay him the contract. If he doesn't get signed, then the Raiders pay him. Could be an interesting. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I wonder if he had some place in mind if he wanted out. Mm. Maybe not Vegas. Yeah, not Vegas. Not Vegas. <laughs> it's not for everyone. The bright lights of the strip. <laughs> yep. Gambled and lost. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Lions cut Perryman and the Bears cut Daz Newsom. And then the Bears signed Perryman. You have a take for this, Henry? Perriman, former first-round pick by the Ravens, what seems like an eternity ago. And then, believe me, towards ACL, his rookie year, and the Ravens kept making comments year after year after year. It feels like we have two first-round picks this year because Perriman's coming back, and he's going to be <laughs> awesome. Every year they would say that, and every year he would get hurt. He was a speed demon at one point in his career. Have no idea what he has left in the tank because you never see him play. He went to the Lions, and he got paid by the Lions to get cut by the Lions, who had nothing at receiver. So that must tell you something if he's getting beat out by Khalif Raymond from the Titans, who had that great deep post over the middle touchdown against the Ravens. Other than that, Khalif Raymond's, you know, a nobody. Uh, Got beat out by a bunch of practice squad kneecap biters. (laughs) Not someone I look to make an impact on any roster at all. Brashad Behrman. Staying away. I think you nailed that. He's on the Bears who signed uh, the aforementioned Demir Bird to be that field stretcher. And as you say, if Khalif Raymond beat him out, and Raymond's got wheels, don't get me wrong, or maybe offers a bit more on special teams. And we saw Perriman have his best season with the uh, fuck it, chuck it Bucks, and he looked all right. But then, I mean, this guy's been on the Jets. He's been on the Lions. I don't know if there's any, like he's bottomed out. There's no way down from there. Like we can't, like, was it the, the Saskatoon Rough Riders or something like that? <laughs> Like the XFL, that fan-controlled league that Johnny Football was in. Like, but yeah, to get cut from the the Lions when you're a legacy guy, I think his dad played there. So no, it's all all over for Bashad Perryman. He's droppable as far as I'm concerned. Yep, getting cut by the Lions has to be an all-time low. Perryman, the journeyman, clearly didn't bite enough kneecaps, as he said. <laughs> <laughs> if he could reunite with Jameis Winston there in New Orleans, that could bring some intrigue because they have nothing at the receiver position. That was the guy. In Tampa, like you said, those last two, three weeks of the season, he won me a championship in a couple leagues. You know, he put up tremendous numbers with the the Chuck at Jameis Winston. So mm-hmm. definitely a deep threat guy. But And that little glimmer. I don't think the Saints can afford him. <laughs> and, you know, the, 
the people of New Orleans have suffered enough recently without having to watch Brashad Perryman. <laughs> yep, that's great. Well, that wasn't a very surprising cut. A kind of surprising cut, even though they did bring him back on the practice squad, Des Fitzpatrick. When he got drafted in the NFL draft, it was, it was one of those, you know, Snoop saying who with a question mark wasn't someone who I expected to go in the middle of the draft. I saw a lot of things that anticipated that he would be either a late pick or undrafted, but you know, they paid up at what was it fourth round for Des Fitzpatrick, but cut him. He goes unclaimed and then goes to the taxi squad. I guess this is a, a win for analysts over NFL that nobody thought he was going to be uh, special yet. He was given draft capital of at least some relevance. you have any reaction to Des Fitzpatrick here? They traded up to get him. So they must have been really pissed off. And you know the Titans aren't having a great run of luck with their early draft days at the moment. You could say the fourth round's not quite early, but uh, one of his hallmarks in college was he was that kind of knee biter that we took, that Dan Campbell loves, that he liked to get his hands dirty, he blocked, he did the hard yards. And apparently he hasn't been doing that in Tennessee. And obviously Dan Campbell gets all the headlines of being like the bro in the NFL. But Mike Vrabel is as well. He loves those those knees. He's the guy that said he cut off his dick to win a Super Bowl or whatever it was. Like, <laughs> pretty sure you probably just get vaccinated and that's the same, like, punishment. Uh, or, or, or the same, like, I, I'll do anything to win a Super Bowl. A smaller sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, look at it, you, Kirk Cousins. I'd do anything except... But I won't do that. Maybe he's Meatloaf. There's a nickname I can use that using for him. Um, but yeah, so apparently in practice he's been skiving off, not putting in the effort, and clearly they weren't pleased with him because obviously they brought in Julio. You know, how often do you see a fourth rounder who you've traded up for and not even make the day one roster? I didn't see you taking Dez anywhere, I don't think, Henry. Were you a fan of Dez? No, and actually I thought exactly what the Titans eventually came to the conclusion of, is that Racy McMath was the better pick. He made their 53-man roster, and he was a sixth-round pick. It was part of that Fugazi LSU Pro Day with the mm -hmm. total BS numbers where he ran a 4-3-4 or whatever he ran. Super fast. He may be a low 4-4 guy. I mean, we look at Jamar Chase. I said coming out, we have quite a few Bengals fans we talked to. They're like, he ran a 4-3-8. I'm like, he didn't run anything faster than a 4-5-5. That guy can't separate for anything. But Racy was significantly faster than Jamar Chase to me on tape. He was the guy that got buried there in the Joe Burrow year with Terrace Marshall, Jefferson. Uh, obviously Jamar Chase, when he got his chance, when no one was watching LSU in 2020, he was the best receiver with Chase opting out. He was a guy that looked good with Terrace Marshall there still, played that Z, the flanker role. Obviously drafting Julio puts a little dim on the Josh Reynolds, Des Fitzpatrick, Racy McMath, but Julio is on a one-year deal to my knowledge, 33 years old now. He's already injured. Uh, I think Racy would be the guy that I would want to have currently on the COVID list as well, I think. So he might slide right onto your IR still. Yeah, McMath is a, a good special teamer as well. I think he might have been the best wide receiver special teamer in the draft, which is probably why he made the roster in Fitzpatrick. Too. It might be why Perryman didn't make the roster over um, over Khalif Raymond. You know, These are the decisions that teams are having to make between their fourth and fifth wide receivers. They carry them. I, I, I like McMath. Um, I'm not sure he's... I think Khalif Raymond last year is probably his ceiling, but certainly he's an entertaining player to talk about. Definitely. I think the Titans are only ever going to use two receivers, that play action, you know, chuck it deep sort of mentality if they do throw it. But he's got the ability to take the top off, like Khalif Raymond, like you said. I think he's a little more physical, got a little more size to him than the 5'9 Raymond, but definitely not someone not, not someone I'm going to pay up to go get. Stevie Scott, we see cut from the Saints. I think that was the emergence of Tony Jones or... Stevie Scott, I know from Indiana, looked at pretty good with Penix last year. Any thoughts on Stevie Scott, the New Orleans backfield as a whole? He couldn't have saved Penix from the Hawkeyes this weekend. I'll tell you that. Still holding the phones on Jones. Could be something. He's someone uh, who's taxi eligible too. So he, he's someone who's going to end up making my taxi squad on a, a variety of leagues there. Was Stevie Scott anyone you were ever a fan of, Sheehan? He was not. <laughs> 
someone who I wasn't a fan of ever is Darwin Thompson, who was cut. That made it pretty clearly behind CEH. They have Darrell Williams and McKinnon. CEH and Darrell Williams are both supposed to be back for week one. So while both of those were kind of an interesting cuff leading up until that news, you know, maybe maybe they're falling back down a little bit. Do you have any interest in McKinnon or Darrell Williams or maybe a preference? McKinnon's more interesting if CEH can't play. Darrell Williams is your vertical runner. McKinnon, we've even last year when he wasn't, he's not the jet that he once was. We still saw him be an effective runner for the 49ers. I'm not that interested in Darwin Thompson. Uh, that draft class, I really liked Bruce Anderson and was disappointed that he didn't crack it because uh, how often do you see people called Bruce these days? Uh, so no interest in Darwin. And to be honest, if CEH was long-term injured, I'm not sure I'd have any interest in that backfield. In fact, I would probably bet that they bring someone in. Gurley's out in the street. He's someone who could perform the role they need to perform at a reliable level. This is a this is a Super Bowl winning team, and I'm not sure you know the law firm of Thompson, McKinnon, and Williams is getting it done. My guess is it wouldn't be Bell. No, no, <laughs> it would not be Bell after what what he said about Andy Reid after the fact. Yeah, it would not be Le'Veon Bell. But it, it's like Sheehan said, it's your boy Strong for me, Jet. Jarek McKinnon, back when he was on the Vikings, he looked excellent. Obviously, the Niners signed him to a pretty big three-year deal. Forget exactly what the injury was, but he missed an entire season, and they kept him around. They kept him around. I think he might even got hurt a second year. They kept keeping him around, and once he got healthy, you saw why they kept him around. He contributed there. Kansas City went out and said, who's one of the best backups we can go get? And it was Jarek McKinnon. Obviously, he made the team over Darwin Thompson, Damian Williams, who they let go, go to the Bears. You said they're not a Super Bowl team if CEH goes down. They did make it there with Damian Williams, and for what it's worth, they kept Daryl over Damian, so perhaps it's a backfield that you could take a shot on simply just because of the prowess of the offense. Uh, hopefully with the new offensive line, they become a little more balanced with the running. If I knew who the cuff was, like in Pittsburgh with Bellage and Snell and McFarland, if I knew who the cuff was, I'd absolutely want to have them. But as of right now, it's, you know, I, who knows? Yeah. So if, if Edwards Allaire goes down, I think it is McKinnon. They've got uh, Derek Gore on their uh, their practice squad. So Derek Gore looked great in preseason. I don't know how much Kansas City preseason you guys watched, but he scored once or twice in that Vikings game. He had several good runs. There's uh, some love for Khalil Herbert, who was a, a rookie selection for the Bears. But Damian Williams, I mean, Cohen is still recovering. He's still on the pup. So right behind Montgomery, people think that Montgomery was propped up due to, you know, health of the other backfield and then a schedule last year and whatnot. If any of that holds any weight at all, you know, maybe there's something there for Damian Williams, even if it's filling the shoes for some of what Cohen was doing or a Cohen role there. I know he might be back eventually, but maybe Damian Williams. Williams is certainly better than that plotter Ryan Knoll they had last year. And I quite like that Tavis Pierce, but Damian Williams is better than him too. Like, I don't think Williams is a threat to take snaps off Montgomery. If they're going to spell him, he's a better option than anyone else they have there. I agree. Someone who won't get a chance to spell for the Washington football team is Peyton Barber. He was cut and then signed by the Raiders, correct? Correct. The... Walmart Josh Allen of Josh Jacobs, Peyton Barber. <laughs> I was like, are we talking about Dodds? The, the Walmart Josh Allen himself? That segment of the Walmart Josh Allen of players. <laughs> that makes more sense. Clears the way for Jarrett Patterson. McKissick is taking possessions as a wide receiver in preseason. So I think maybe Jarrett Patterson might be what would be considered the cuff for Gibson there. And with the whole Gibson toe thing and now Peyton Barber not in the picture, uh, Jarrett Patterson is someone who has made my final list of cuts who I'm, I'm stashing on some taxis there. There's a little bit of concern with like the toe and that's something that sometimes pops up and goes away and pops up and goes away so I think there's a chance that if he was actually given the starting role that between him and McKissick he could have some relevance are you a fan of Jarrett Patterson big fan of Jarrett Patterson little human meatball I think if (laughs) you had to say to someone pick a running back just by looking at them 
they would point at him and go, that man is a running back. He's short, stocky, low center of gravity. Uh, in case you missed it, he had some ridiculous games in college last year. I think he had, was there, it was an eight touch. I think he had 1,200 yards in three games and 20 touchdowns or something like that. It was ridiculous. And people might say, okay, he played for Buffalo. Like, look at the competition he was playing against. If it was easy, everyone would do it. This guy, he was a UDFA for a reason. Like, he's not going to knock your socks off. But as far as I'm concerned, this is this year's James Robinson. And if Turf Toe catches up Gibson or, well, I think McKissick would probably still have the role as the pass catcher. But I could see Jarrett Patterson being a good two down back for the uh, the Washington football team. It was a game against Akron where he had six touchdowns, I believe. I remember watching that game and thinking, wow, because Kevin Marks is a running back there in Buffalo that he was splitting carries with. And I was a big Kevin Marks fan. And then Jarrett Patterson comes out undrafted by Washington. I go, that's an interesting spot. I don't think McKissick is much outside of a receiver. I think he was even on Seattle at one point, maybe even the Lions. Just was never much. It took Alex Smith with a only one leg checking the ball down to him every other play to become relevant in the slightest, only in full PPR leagues. Uh, not a guy that I would look at this year to be all that. What is it? Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator there in Washington. Rivera brought him over from Carolina. They're going to try to use Gibson like CMC. That's what we heard Kyle Allen say. That's what everyone's hoping for. A guy that had receiving ability in college, used as a receiver there at Memphis. Uh, Peyton Barber, you guys caught me off guard. I didn't even realize he was signed by the Raiders because Washington brought him back on their practice squad because it's one of those moves where you cut a veteran going into the season. You don't want to pay his guaranteed salary. You want to pay him week to week, bring him back after week one. The Raiders signed him off the practice squad. So I guess the Raiders are bringing him in there on their active roster. And they cut Trey Ragas to do so. I know a guy that many liked. Um, so I guess Peyton Barber might be someone of interest if you buy into Jacobs being injury prone. Definitely behind Drake still. He's someone I'm not in a rush to get, Peyton Barber. Wouldn't be for me either. <laughs> I was going to say, before we move on for Patterson, I think we, we deserve to give him his due here. Against Bowling Green State, he had 31 carries, 301 yards, and four touchdowns, so fair day out. And then followed up next week against Kent State, 36 carries, 409 yards, and eight touchdowns, so decent day out. And then he <laughs> fell off a bit against Akron the next week with two and 105, so that's a disappointing performance, but this is a guy who had 710 yards and 12 touchdowns in two games. And as I said, if it was easy, everyone would do it. So I think there is something to like about Jarrett Patterson, low center of gravity, Squeeze between the tackles, and uh, he's your quintessential UDFA dart throw this year. Love it. Love it. Picked up a bunch of Jarrett Patterson. You touched on it earlier, just briefly, when we were talking about McKinnon and Darrell Williams. You know, if they went down, they'd surely sign someone. Well, by the time this comes out, the last pot will be out, and we talked about how we wanted nothing to do with Justice Hill on the Ravens. Well, as of today, he tore his Achilles, and as of today, they also hosted Le'Veon Bell, Devonta Freeman, and Elijah Holyfield. One, do you think that they would bring these three guys in and then go back and sign Gurley, who had visited a while back after bringing these guys in? Or do you think it's probably would be one of these three guys here in the next coming days or something else? Are the COVID protocols still the same where you can only bring a guy in if there's legitimate intention to sign him? I don't know. Or if they waived that or wound that back a touch? Hmm. I believe it's still fairly similar. From what I heard, and I could look an absolute fool if this is incorrect, but I was told that Gurley failed. I was told that Gurley failed his medical in Baltimore. They brought him in, they did a medical, and they didn't even give him a tryout. They they saw the medical and just said, sorry, we we have no interest in your knee. So I believe it would be Bell uh, for me, just because of the Steelers, where he played there for many years, hopefully give them some insights into how that organizationally ran, some offense, any tendencies he knows of Big Ben, you know, if he favors something where he had that. There was a tell that Big Ben had for many years where if it was play action, he would have his left leg up off the ground. And then if it was down, it was a run like every time. So if Lev Bell knows anything like that, I'm sure the Ravens would love to pick his brain. Hmm. If not, you know, I think Elijah Holyfield is interesting. Uh, if for nothing else, the fact that he's, you know, the son of Evander Holyfield, the boxing champion, he averaged 6.4 yards a carry at Georgia his junior year, I believe. And then he ran a 4.78 at the 40 and went undrafted. Got signed by the Eagles for a while, got cut. 
And then Devonta Freeman, like you said, he cost the Falcons the Super Bowl because he didn't want to block. Let Matt Ryan get strip sack fumbled. He's 29. He's a smaller guy. He's got to just be on the last legs. I wouldn't think they'd want to bring him in, but he's there for a tryout. So, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's like uh, when you're interviewing someone for a job and you stack the deck because you know there's someone you want to hire. So you bring in someone that you've pulled him in off the street, given him a shower and a suit. What do you know about IT? <laughs> Nothing? Oh, well. Well, what a shame. His, his resume looked really good. I guess he just doesn't interview well. I think that could be it for, uh, for Freeman. Sweet. Well, I appreciate the time you guys have given me here. I know we're kind of winding down here. Any last cuts or signings you want to make sure the, the listeners hear before we get rolling on the football season? Yeah, Kenny Yeboa is a guy that I'm interested in. He blew up in the last week of preseason for the Jets. I should say New York Jets tight end Kenny Yeboa blew up in the last week of the preseason. They traded out Chris Herndon, and we've talked about liking Wilson. Elijah Moore has lit up practice, and I'm so excited to see him. And I feel like my comparisons to him as potentially Antonio Brown and uh, Lionel Messi, uh, as I had him as a comp, are not unfounded at this point. And obviously Corey Davis, but I could see Yeboah becoming um, a nice check down uh, option for Wilson. So he's a, he's a guy to keep an eye on. So just, just Kenny Yeboah. Back on the practice squad. They just kept the Croft, the Tomb Raider, right? Tyler Croft, is it? Yep. And the, the weird fullback guy that I'm blanking on the name of that is not even a tight end. Trayvon Wesco. Yeah, Wesco. He will not play a tight end for them. So, <laughs> oh, they kept uh, Ryan Griffin as well. So, did he not get cut? No, he did not. Funnily enough, wow. Apparently, that hail mary catch wasn't enough. <laughs> yep, that was from a guy I liked quite a bit that I'm blanking on the name of. He was a fourth round pick out of FIU. Uh, Morgan. James Morgan. Mm-hmm. That's exactly who it is. James Morgan. He threw that ball 60 yards in the air. He showed off the cannon that everyone knows he has. And Yeboa showed the 50-50 ability was not enough to, to get that done. Mm. Do you have any uh, last guys you would like to make sure we hear, Henry? I think Gallman getting cut by the Niners was interesting. It shows that they like Mitchell a lot, the six-round pick out of Louisiana. Yep. They also... Decided to keep Jermichael Hasty, a guy that they kept as a UDFA last year, I believe from Baylor, over the Washington products, Savon Ahmed. They brought them both in there last year, kept Hasty, and they keep him again over Gallman, a guy that seems to keep winning himself a job in San Fran. Guy I've picked up here recently in quite a few leagues. Awesome. Well, I think that's all we've got here today. Sheehan? This is a pleasure. One of the first few episodes, and I've already got, like, my favorite dude on it. (laughs) I'm I'm so happy you could join us, dude. Thank you so much. And that's no slight to you, Henry. You know, you're also my favorite dude. A celebrity in the house, you know, you got to roll out the red carpet. Sheehan, you want to let them know where they can find you? Yeah, well, uh, well, as you said off the top, if it's got Sleepaway branding on it, I'm probably attached somehow. So <laughs> obviously I host the weekly podcast, which if you are listening to this, probably drops into your feed uh, with Nada. So we taught Redraft. I'm sure we're going to have great in-season episodes there. Remember to tune into MailSack as well. Get your questions in. I think check out our website, sleepaway.com for that. Head on across to Patreon. Support this show. Support the normal show support mail sack support the great debate we're gonna have some awesome guests on it i'm sure we'll have nfl.com's own marcus grant i'm sure we'll have uh robbie from the rum boys network we might get jake Sealy. who knows who else i really want kate and michelle magic to go up against each other and uh ideally i want to go head to head with dan the man hansis as well from around the nfl so we'll see where we can get to for that. But no, check us out there. We've got awesome written articles coming out as well. And make sure if you want to make some money, check out our work from a man, Justin Dodds, who has a strike rate, which is better than Steph Curry from outside the arc. Mm. <laughs> Henry, if you want to let them know where they can find you and then where, where can I find articles that you guys write? The article question is a good one for Sheehan. Yeah, well, Twitter, sleepaway.sleepaway.com. Uh, you can follow me at Sheehan Solo, obviously, and on our Patreon. Absolutely. And I'm at ClairvoyanceFF on Twitter. Like you said, light shipping articles from time to time with the sleeper guys. I worked with Sheehan on one this year on UDFAs, potentially late round guys that weren't on sleeper originally. 
Talked about Jalen Darden out of North Texas. Talked about Semi Fajico. Talked about Cade Johnson. We talked about quite a few guys who, a lot of which got drafted and still have relevance now. So, certainly a guy that I've enjoyed working with. Enjoy the opportunities that have been provided. Definitely two of my favorite dudes right here. Speaking of Fajoko, just before we sign off, I picked him up in our uh, Sleepaway Riders League today. I'd forgotten how much I hated the guy after I did that. <laughs> He's so uninteresting. He hasn't even been on hard knocks. Again, like we talked about with some other guys, you can't teach speed, you can't teach size, and his inability to catch the ball is obviously not holding him back in the NFL. I'm pretty sure I drafted and dropped him. So, you know, he's one of the ones I overpaid for. Might have been a, a Tamorian Terry in there as well. <laughs> yeah, we were talking off pod about how we're big fans of Tamorian, so Justice System does it again. <laughs> Yeah, dang. <laughs> the Ravens, rather than a Justice Hill, have an Achilles Hill, apparently. <laughs> that's excellent. <laughs> but that's all we have for you here. Sheehan, Henry, thank you. I'm Iowa at Iowa in the NFL. This is Dynasty Wire. Thanks for hanging with us. Thanks, Bill.